You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. chosen. And in this, I see Judas having privilege. Judas has privilege. What I mean here is he was specifically called by Jesus Christ and he's numbered with the 12. That means, think about it, Judas spent three and a half years with Jesus. Three and a half years walking with Jesus. He was privileged to see all the miracles. God desires that no one should perish and that all would come to everlasting life. Today, Pastor Dave will be explaining how Jesus even desired Judas to be saved. Even though Judas would ultimately betray Jesus, Judas was still given a chance to receive him as his Lord and Savior. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 13 as he begins his message, The Sovereign Servant, Part 4. have you ever noticed that there are certain words in the English language that evoke emotion? Certain words that we use that evoke emotion. One such word for me is betrayal. When we think of the word betrayal, we naturally think of lying, cheating, the breaking of confidence. But usually with betrayal comes hurt, pain, disappointment, discouragement, and sadness. When I looked at the dictionary, I found that the the definition for betray is to deliver or expose one to an enemy by treachery or disloyalty. This definition conjures up the thought of a traitor, the thought of being stabbed in the back by a friend. Throughout the annals of history, many betrayals have been recorded. One that came to my mind immediately was in our own country, back in the Revolutionary War, a man by the name of Benedict Arnold, who betrayed his country, who was a traitor to his country, and received a hanging because of it. There are many more that we could quote, but one in particular to me is the epitome of betrayal. When William Shakespeare wrote his play, Julius Caesar, don't know how many of you studied it in high school or in ninth grade. I remember spending a lot of my ninth grade year studying the play Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare. Julius Caesar had a dear friend by the name of Brutus. And Brutus and his cohorts collaborated to assassinate Julius Caesar because they thought he was going to be an emperor and a dictator. They didn't want that to happen. He was warned, Julius Caesar, by a seer to beware the Ides of March, which happens to be the 15th of March, which we just passed. And certainly on that day, when Julius Caesar was accompanied by Brutus and the rest of the senators, he was severely stabbed and killed. The last person stabbing him was Brutus himself. And Julius Caesar's dying words are the epitome for me of betrayal. 
when he looks at Brutus and says, et tu, Brute, which means you too, Brutus, the betrayal of a friend is hard to swallow. To this day, you may hear those words if you've ever been in that spot when somebody is betrayed. They go, you too? But of all the betrayals throughout time, the one that stands out, the one that we're studying today is probably the most well-known. The betrayal of Jesus Christ by one of his own disciples, by a man of the name of Judas Iscariot. We don't know much about Judas. He's listed with the 12 disciples of the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's an interesting note. He's always listed last. And there's always a tag behind his name. In Matthew and Mark, it says, who would betray Jesus. And in Luke, it says, who was a traitor. John himself mentions Judas in chapter 6, verse 70 and 71, after, G, after Peter's profession of faith, when Jesus says, unless you eat of my blood, and unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. Many people walked away. Jesus turned to the disciples and said, do you too want to leave? Peter says, where should we go? You have the words of life. And then Jesus says to them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is of the devil. John gives us an explanation in verse 71. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus says, I chose them, but one of you is the devil. And then again in chapter 12, verse 4, at the dinner at Bethany with Mary and Martha at their house, when Mary poured the spikenard on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. Judas became indignant. And John writes, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him. So John does mention Judas. But remember one thing. All these accounts were after the fact. All these accounts were written after everything had transpired. Because up until the night of the Last Supper, and even beyond, into the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's identity as a betrayer was not known by most of the disciples. Only Jesus knew, and then we're going to find out, that he does give John a hint. He does give John a hint. The story of the betrayal of Jesus has been the center of huge theological debates. I mean, debate after debate after debate. Did Judas have a choice in the matter? Was Judas ever a true disciple? Well, I'm going to leave that to the theologians. They can knock that around all they want. That's not my emphasis today. I'm more interested in how Jesus reacted to Judas during that fateful night. What can we learn from Jesus' example? What can we look at to glean in our own lives and how does this match up with what he's been teaching us in the foot washing of John 13? We do not know how Judas was called, but we do know Jesus chose him. Look at our first verse, 18a. Jesus is speaking. Do I not speak concerning all of you? I know whom I've chosen. Jesus says, I know who I've chosen. And in this, I see Judas having privilege. 
Judas has privilege. What I mean here is he was specifically called by Jesus Christ and he's numbered with the 12. That means, think about it. Judas spent three and a half years with Jesus. Three and a half years walking with Jesus. He was privileged to see all the miracles. He was privileged to hear Jesus' words. He was privileged to walk with Jesus and probably had many, many opportunities to speak with Jesus, especially since he held the bag, which means he was the treasurer of the group. He held the money. Imagine that. Three and a half years walking and talking with the Savior of the universe. Three and a half years walking and talking with Jesus Christ. Imagine that. He had privilege. We also know, according to John 6, 6, that he took advantage of that privilege because he was a cheat and he stole from the bag. So Judas had privilege. We also know that Judas had power. What do I mean by that? Well, when we look at Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8, Jesus sends the 12 out. He sends the 12 out and he empowers them to cast out demons, to cleanse lepers, to, to, to heal. Judas was one of the ones that was sent out. He was one of the ones that went out. So he had privilege, he had power, but most of all, he had the promises of God. He had the promises of God. He heard Jesus said, you must believe upon him whom he sent. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. He who believes in me will have everlasting life. Judas heard those words. Judas was there. But it seems that he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. At least he didn't believe that Jesus was the suffering Messiah. Didn't believe that Jesus would be that type of Messiah. Didn't believe that at all. He believed that Jesus might be the kingly Messiah. He might have been a part of that not my Messiah movement. That was a joke, but no <laughs> Not my president. Get it? Not my okay. Anyhow, all right. Anyhow. There we go. Any anything. Another thing we know about Judas is what he was very extremely skillful in deceiving the other disciples. As I said, none of the disciples thought that Judas was a bad guy. They had no clue of this great deception, this great wool that they were, he was pulling over everyone's eyes. But he never deceived Jesus. Jesus knew what was in his heart when Jesus called him. You may be very clever in deceiving man, but the man who thinks he's deceiving God is really deceiving himself. Yet, Jesus chose him. Jesus chose him. Judas was chosen by the Lord to be a disciple with the full knowledge that he would later turn and betray him. We all have friends. We all have acquaintances. When you're looking for a friend, do you choose a friend with the knowledge that your friend will betray you? Probably not. Probably not. Do you hire someone to work for you knowing that this person will end up robbing you or betraying you? Probably not. But not Jesus. Jesus is different. Jesus has a different mindset. He explains the call in verse 18b. Let's look. 
but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus uses the word of God as a reason for his choice of Judas. He quotes Psalm 41 verse 9. Many, many people think that when David wrote this psalm, he was writing about his friend Ahithophel. Remember we studied about Ahithophel? Say that six times. Remember, Ahithophel was David's trusted counselor. He was David's friend. He had been with David for a long, long time. But when Absalom, David's son, rebelled against David, Ahithophel went with him and told him all kinds of secrets about David. So when David wrote Psalm not 41, 9, many believed that this was on his mind. It's an interesting fact, and we've studied this in 1 Samuel. It's an interesting fact that didn't hit me until I was studying today. Both Ahithophel and Judas committed suicide by hanging themselves. I find that quite interesting. But let's straighten out the facts. The prophecy that was being fulfilled by Judas was the betrayal, not the suicide. The suicide was Judas's choice. The betrayal was a prophecy that was written by David. I think one of the things that was happening here is that Jesus didn't want Judas's treachery to blindside the disciples. He was worried about disciples because as we read through the Gospels, we know for a fact that at this time, the disciples' faith wasn't really that great. You could call it weak. We should call it weak, because it was weak. Jesus didn't want to have their weak faith weakened, if you will. He didn't want them blindsided. So he tells them, look at 19. Now, I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, that you may believe that I am he. This is an important statement by Jesus. Once again, he's claiming deity. He's claiming deity. Why is he claiming deity? He's saying that I am the one true God. And by telling you this in advance, when these things happen, you'll know that I'm God. You'll know that I am he. I am the one. I'm the promised Messiah. Jesus continually, continually gives proof that he is who he says he is. He continually hammers away that I am the Messiah. Believe upon me and believe in God. Jesus wants the disciples' faith to be strong. He told them things that will come to pass. Now they have to believe him and trusted him to accomplish that which he says he's going to do. They need to trust in him and believe that he will complete it. He will do the things and everything he says will come to pass. He wants his disciples to be confident in him. And he's telling us the same thing this morning, folks. He wants our faith to be strong as well. God has given us great and precious promises in his book, in his word. We can glean from those. And we need to be steadfast and immovable in our faith because all these great and precious promises have been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And we need to be faithful to him. We need to know that he is faithful when we're faithless. He that began a work will complete it. He is the one who will do the work within us and get it done. We need to be faithful. Why? Because Jesus held up his end of the bargain. He died on a cross. He proved that he was faithful by dying on a cross. Our part? Believe. 
So many of us say, all right, Lord, what's my part? What do I got to do? Believe. No, 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 there's got to be something I can do. Come on, what do I got to do? Believe. That is so difficult sometimes to believe. So difficult when we are a due to society. I want to work, 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 work. No, it's been done. Everything's been done. Believe. Believe. Have faith. We're to believe without hesitation. We're to believe. We're not to waver at the promises of God like Abraham. It says in, in, in Hebrews, he didn't waver at the promises of God. We're not to waver either because all of God's promises are what? Yes and amen to the glory of God. Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to believe this, folks. You need to think the hour's coming closely. It's getting right around. It's only a couple hours away. Then he says, most assuredly, in verse 20, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He's trying to give Judas and the disciples a reminder that his work still isn't complete. It's almost like he's saying, hey, make no mistake about this, guys. Here's the truth, and you can't question it. Yes, I will be betrayed. Yes, I will suffer. Yes, I will die. But Satan will not win. For I will rise again on the third day. And that you can be assured of, and that you can believe. He will not win. And I'm sending you out once again. And he that receives you, receives me. And if they receive me, they receive the one who sent me, our Father in heaven. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because Satan always is getting on our case. I don't know about you, but he's always on my case. Trying to convince me that the Lord really isn't interested in me. The Lord really doesn't care about me. It's just the opposite is true. Satan wants to think that the Lord doesn't care about the least of his servants. That you really, you don't count for anything. This is not right in the sight of the Lord because the Lord said that Whatever you do or whatever they do to you, they've done to me. So he puts himself in our place. He identifies with us. He said, have faith that when they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me and they're rejecting the Father. They're not rejecting you. Jesus will stand up for you. He will be there in the midst of the trial and the tribulation when people mistreat you. Because in his sight, they're mistreating him. If you're truly one of his children... In all our afflictions, he's afflicted. He will not leave nor forsake us. But this whole thing troubles Jesus' spirit. Look at verses 21 and 22. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Once again, we see humanity side of Jesus. He was troubled once again. Remember, he was, was troubled in his soul. Now he's troubled in his spirit. Why? Why? Because he loved Judas. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus loved him. Even though he knew one day Judas would betray him, he still invested time in Judas because he loved and cared for him. One will betray me. One of you will betray me. When I hear these words, I have to admit when I read them, at least for me, I hear a hint of discouragement. I hear a hint of disappointment, but make no mistake about it, Jesus is still in control. 
Jesus is still in control of the situation, even through the pain, the discouragement, the disappointment. Jesus was always in control. And what's interesting, again, to me, is that none of the disciples knew who it was, and they all suspected themselves. That's how weak their faith was. They all suspected themselves because they knew their flesh would do it. I love it, because if you look at Matthew 26, 22, they all looked around the table going, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And what I love about this, remember the argument they had at the beginning of the supper? Who was the greatest? They weren't sitting there going, must be him, must be him. They're all going, is it me? Is it me? I love that. I love that. They were wondering, who was it? This was a tight-knit group of guys. Three and a half years is a long time to spend with people. They grew close. But this was unnerving. Someone was going to betray our Lord? Is it I? Is it I? None of them had the confidence. Is it I? Is it I? The sad part about this is several hours later, most of them would run away. Most of them would hit the trail, and one of them, one of them would deny the Lord openly three times to his face. It was obvious that the other disciples didn't know. They didn't know it was Judas. They had no idea because he had done nothing suspicious. And what does this tell me? What it tells me is there are people among us who say, I'm a Christian, but they're really not. They really haven't made the move to become born again. They really haven't made the move to follow Jesus in all things. Oh, they say all the right things. They can say all the great things. They have all the Christianese down pat. They can tell you all this thing. When you're preaching, they can go, Amen, brother. They can say all the great things they want to go. But inside, there hasn't been a change in their heart. Inside, there's still that old person. And they're posing. And they're deceiving. They're deceiving you. But they're not deceiving God. God will not deceive because he knows what's in your heart. He looks right into you. He knows what's in your heart even right now. He will not be deceived. Oh, these people always say the right word. They even pray like champs. They use flowery words and things like that. But there's nothing in their heart. Their heart is empty. They've never really surrendered to Jesus Christ. We shine, I surrender today. Have you? Have you truly surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? Not in just some word that... that a pastor leads you through, but have you truly surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? Can you truly say, not my will, but your will? Can you truly say, I trust in you, Lord, for every single thing I ever do or ever done. I trust in you to forgive me. I trust in you for eternal life. I surrender everything to you. Where can I go? You have the words of life. Have you done that? Have you done that? I love the way Jesus protects Judas. I love the way Jesus protects Judas. He could have stood up and say, it's him. Then what would have happened? What would have happened? You read some of the accounts in the garden when they came to get him, Peter had a sword. He takes it out and cuts off Malchus's ear. So what would have happened to Judas if Jesus had stood up and said, it's him, guys, it's him. I don't know. Jesus protected Judas to the very end. You are The book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.